Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, aka HD underscore Star, aka Boiler Hawk. Joining me as always, the man, the myth, the legend, the new Desert Oracle, Ben Ross. Ben, how are you doing? I am fully evolving into Arizona, man. I I am up at four AM every day in the middle of the desert. Um I've got aches in parts of my body from hiking that I didn't know before. I took a little tumble um, oh, no. <laughs> on the on the dynamite trail in I don't even know what county or city. I think Penal or Maricopa County, Arizona, right now. Um, I can show you a little scuff on my knee. Oh no! Subscribe to my OnlyFans if you want to get a get, get a real good look at that. But, <laughs> You know, I'm doing great. Um, aside from the fact that people ch- are choosing not to obey federal statutes against wearing a mask in the grocery store here, um, uh, I'm liking Arizona so far. That's good. That's good because as we sit here, uh, even here in Arkansas, we are getting a winter storm of the likes we have never seen. Um, I don't want to say before, but it feels like. I haven't seen one in Arkansas like this. Um, it was just coming down and kept coming down and like, oh, is it stops? Is that actually coming off the roofs? No, it's still coming down from the sky. So I'm glad that like the weather and the things that you can do in Arizona are treating you well on this lovely, lovely uh, Valentine's Day, actually, is when we're recording. Oh, I should be, I should be the one wishing you a happy Valentine's Day. Well, I, th- I think <laughs> what ended up is we both probably ended up third wheeling, right? Between my wife and my son <laughs> and you with your parents. So it, 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 it lacked the luster, I'll say, of past Valentine's Day meals. Um, chicken nuggets and mashed potatoes. Good go-to. Love it. Um, but what I did to spice mine up a little bit was a little bell peppers and cheddar cheese and the mashed potatoes to make it a little special. So that, do- that does sound very, very nice. You know, my dad, he's a pretty good cook. He whipped up some great ribs and some baked beans. And I mean, he was, you know, obviously celebrating my parents special. God, I think it's been, I don't even know how many years I don't want to try and hazard a guess. I should know, but I don't, um, I- I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, celebrating a special milestone myself, 29 years in a row of celebrating Valentine's Day alone. So here's the, here's, <laughs> here's the next 29, um, and I'm happy for everybody else. Can't you tell from the inflection in my voice? I sure can, Ben. I sure can. Um, it, it's funny because, like, the, the things I think about, because I, I, you know, I, making it special, yada, yada little bit of a joke but the one thing i did do tonight was also make a gin and tonic and i was just like going back through the rolodex of like alcohol and mixer drinks that i've gravitated towards over my life and i think that there's nothing i would have disliked more in like college when i was like whiskey sours i i I don't think i could touch a whiskey sour with a 10-foot pole now um Tell and, me and now it's you now know, I'm you, totally flipped. What you like whiskey sours now? No, I I, oh. for, I don't even know if I liked them in college. I just thought I was supposed to like them, so that's what I drank. Tell me who had the idea to put an egg white with alcohol? It is asinine. I do not understand the infatuation with whiskey sours. It doesn't make any, and I don't care that you can't taste the egg white. If you never told me the egg white was there, I probably would never know. But the fact of the matter is you're putting an unborn chicken fetus into into my alcoholic beverage. Like, 
Uh, what are we doing here? <laughs> Unbelievable. Truly. I, I never uh, partook in any of those uh, whiskey sours. I'm talking about like the, you go to a straight up bar, um, the, the good old college dives where it was just like, the sour mix that they would also use for margaritas. <laughs> like, it's just, but still, your point remains. I, I have had the egg white drink before. Um, not a whiskey sour specifically. Uh, it was like a quote-unquote laughing zombie. I, I was feeling crazy one night. And it just, it's, it's tough to do because you have to be very good at shaking shaking it to get it the nice whip that you want. And it's like, oh, a lot yeah, of work. The, the foam, I'd rather have whipped cream. Um, yeah. Going back to, I mean, you know what that that sour mix is actually pretty good because you know what it is. It's Mountain Dew. <laughs> and that's <laughs> I remember the sour. I do remember that sour mix from college. That was that was Mountain Dew. They just couldn't couldn't call it Mountain Dew. A, a deflated Mountain Dew, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds like freaking TikTok. I need to get off this app. But there there's one recurring TikTok, and it's like it starts with shaming a parents for feeding their kids formula like oh why would you give your kids formula baja blast only and it just cracks me up every time because you see this little baby with a baja <laughs> blast drink in front of them and it's just uh it, it's it's a good shtick it's a good shtick um but i don't know like it, it's funny just how, how tastes evolve and i more refined i don't know like i mean i i remember the, the first time I had gin was at like a house party and it was the Burnett's or Hawkeye equivalent, whatever it is. And we took a shot of it and it was just the things you do when you're 19, 20, excuse me, when you're 21 years old, who knows? It's, it's so funny. Like gin is, gin was until probably about three years ago, gin was always my number one alcohol. Now it's my number two. I mean, just, you know, bourbon's number one. Because I'm, I don't know, I think I can, you know, I've had good bourbon now, so I can appreciate mm -hmm. it. But it's so funny because like, even when I was 21, 22, 23, I would always prefer a nice craft beer over a Miller Lite or a Bush. And I would, I, I even in Ohio City, I found myself sort of bottle hunting for, we've talked mm. about this many times, the Top and Goliath, you know, limited release beers that are more, that are less limited now. But now you know, my favorite beer is Modelo. Like I'm drinking Modelo right now. So I would, I would rather be drinking a Modelo than, you know, 50% of the time, you know, it's a, a coin flip between a Modelo and a nice craft beer for me. So like on, when my parents took me up from the airport in Arizona, we stopped at a grocery store and I got a 12 pack of Modelo and two six packs of two different local beers I wanted to try. One was absolutely abysmal. We, we ended up, it was actually, it's actually a drain pour beer, which I can't remember. I could probably count on one hand. And then the other, oh, wow. the other is like an incredible, really nice, hazy, uh, I'll shout out the brewery, San, I think it's Santan Brewery in Arizona, mm. and I think it's called Juicy Jack, and that is one of the better beers I can remember having in a while. Um, win some, you lose some. But, I mean, yeah, I've been pounding these models, and I don't think anything tastes better, especially in this uh, desert heat. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on Modelo. It's, it's truly tough to beat. Um, I do like a nice Tecate every now and then, and Victoria is kind of a sneaky, I sneaky one. But they're, bo they're, they're both the super low versus the the slight step up that Modelo is, so I don't know. I love Modelo Negro. I'm drinking regular Especial right now, but I love Negro. Negro, I can't remember. Um, it must be Negro. That's how it works. Um, and I used to be uh, agnostic on Corona. And now I'm pretty anti, I think. I love Pacifico. I really, really do like Pacifico. That's another mm -hmm. great beer. Yeah. And Estrella, Estrella Jalisco. I, I have to shout out my last name. So um, nice. oh, I will go yeah. ahead and give that one. Yeah, I, yeah, I nailed I, it. I don't even know if I see those in the stores here. Arizona or uh, Chicago. Yeah. Two very, yeah. two very Mexican markets, too. I can't. I really can't remember oh, yeah. them in the stores. I honestly, Pacifico's a good one. I, I really don't have Australia that much. Uh, it's just fun to have every now and then. My pet peeve is Pacifico, I can only find in bottles anywhere. And, uh, and Negro, you can only, Modelo Negro, you can only find in bottles and in, in 12 packs of bottles. Like I can't even get a six pack of Negros. I, I don't really understand that whole marketing thing by them. Is it the, it's the, 
well, because they they have the gold wrap on both of them, right? Both the yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just can the can the Modelo Negros. And I've seen Pacifico in cans. I've just never not not in liquor stores I shop though. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was actually a busy week for us, Ben, in terms of things that we have to talk about. Uh, I'll go ahead and timestamp um, when we pick up to. I think the the less literally fun stuff because the the thing that I can't stop thinking about this weekend is Chris Doyle hired on Thursday, um, resigned literally the midnight hour on um, Friday, uh, less than 48 hours after his hire was announced. Um, And I have some thoughts, but uh, to me, the, the thing that sticks out is the audacity of that man to think that the, those men to think that they could hire a man who had never apologized for what he had done um, over the course of five to 10 years. That's really kind of the stuff that's on record in terms of the allegations against him. And, uh, you know, uh, it just the audacity of that man. So I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, pass it on over to you uh, as we continue this discussion a little bit. When you say you mean when you say the audacity of Batman, do you mean Doyle or Meyer, Urban Meyer? Both, both of them. I, I, I mean, mean, to me, it's both of them. Obviously, yes, we can say whatever we want about Doyle. I don't think you can blame him for taking a job or accepting a job. So <clears throat> that's the only thing I'll pick in that line of thinking. Uh, the audacity of Urban Meyer, absolutely, and I think it's hilarious. He he just learned in a matter of seconds that he ain't in college anymore. This is his first. Yeah non-college job people he actually you know he is no longer the most important person in any room he walks in in the city where he's employed um Mm -hmm. which was never the case in columbus or gainesville he was always the most powerful man um in any room he ever walked in in those two cities counties or states probably even um it's it it, you know he's never been told no before in his entire life meyer this is just what it shows. And, you know, the big loser, I think Urban Meyer is the biggest loser in all of this because I had completely and totally forgotten about the Zach Smith situation. His, oh, yeah. His failed son, wide receivers coach, who was, what, the nephew of Woody, not Woody Hayes. Um, uh, yeah, no, it was Woody Hayes, right? He was a nephew of Woody, I, whatever. I do not know. He was a nephew of some. You, um, and, you know, he had the domestic violence stuff. And everything, and I had completely and totally forgotten about the situation. And then you're reading the blogs and the stories. It's like this is the second time Urban Meyer has brought a c- very controversial figure onto staff, and it's like, okay, you made the same mistake twice. Uh, you know, maybe two slightly different flavors of mistake, but not really chocolate and vanilla. Um, and now, like, and now you've got you now you know now now you've got the people that are making more money than you. Wide receivers are on Twitter that you're going to be coaching are, you know, doing the hands on chins emojis with quote tweeting the Chris Doyle hire. Like you're going to be told you're, you're about to be told no uh, by a 28 year old who's making more money than you for the first time in your entire life. And I would like to be a fly on the wall, (laughs) you know, in urban Meyer's mind It is just so it's so funny because I, you know, I truly honestly believe he was that ignorant to the situation. I just do. I truly believe that he thought he can get away with doing installing his guys and his situation like he was able to anywhere else before in his entire life. And now he can't. And it's so funny because we're talking about Jacksonville. We're talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> yeah. And he and so and I think that probably goes to like he probably took the like let's be honest, I think he took this job only because of Trevor Lawrence. And yes. He and he's. I mean, we're we're again. Jacksonville has been inarguably a bottom three NFL franchise forever. <laughs> it's not since right. you know David. Not since David Rodgers your quarterback, and uh, they're they almost beat New England twenty five years ago in an AFC Championship game. Um, and so he thought. I he probably thought. All right, small market NFL team. I can get away with thing, this and that. But you cannot because a small market NFL team is still bigger than the largest market college football team. I don't care. Maybe that's a little bit ignorant for me, for me to say, but I think it's true. So 
you know, he is no longer big fish in a moderately sized pond. He is a small fish in a gigantic pond. Yeah. I mean, the Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Jaguars Twitter right now, it's hashtag Duval. Their, 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 their handle is one of the largest counties in the United States. So (laughs) it's the largest county by mass, by area. I'm pretty positive. I don't know about population. It's the largest county in the country by by uh, by square mileage. Not that oh, that, I did not know that. Well, that doesn't really help my argument one way or the other. It's just an observation. Yeah, there, I don't think I have much more to add to the Meyer side of this because he he just thought he could do it. Like, I mean, and why wouldn't he think that he couldn't do it? Other than the fact that he sees in his mind probably the best strength and conditioning coach that's ever been on the open market available at maybe a bargain price because of um, his prior situation. And so he goes for him. And and like to your point with Doyle, when you're offered a job, especially after you had Kirk Ferentz and essentially what was his public exit interview say, he's a fantastic coach and he will do great in his next job whenever and wherever that is. Um, when you have those types of public accolades, who knows? Because Meyer said he vetted him. So that means he called Kirk Ferentz, if we're to take him at his word in terms of what vetting means. And he was given the all clear there. I think that's a fair dot to connect um, in terms of vetting and what Kirk Ferentz has said on the record. Um, and then you just come come back to Doyle. And to me, it's kind of that same mindset that Meyer has that um, – you know, he's come from running a program, basically, being the right-hand man and the day-to-day operative of Kirk Ferentz for 20 years, thinks he's going into a situation which may be a little different, but ultimately is not in terms of um, having all of a, all of the players' information available to him and setting the course for them. The, the thing that I just don't get is, like, if you're Chris Doyle, the audacity of him to try and get a job without ever recognizing anything that he had done wrong to me is just crazy because I, I, it almost makes me wonder if Iowa kind of got off easy with their public relation sentiment that happened over the summer just because there was so much else going on. And then this happened and it was literally a two-day news cycle. We had feared like it would be constantly a storyline with Iowa football, and really, it was only a storyline the first three weeks when Iowa was losing. Um, but I, man, it makes me wonder just if Iowa got off a little easy with the public relations standpoint. And then just Chris Doyle, he he has his future lined up when it happened to him. Just be a freaking Instagram guru and sell workout plans to you know people you can sell workout plans to. And there's real money in that. Um, Ricky Stanzi—that's what Ricky Stanzi is doing. And, and just why? Why not do that? Live a life of obscurity for a little bit, and because um, he he has his defenders, and I don't think that we necessarily need to relitigate it. But at the base level, he created a situation where his op- employment at Iowa was untenable for the 2020 season. And I think that is like the baseline agreement that we can all have. Um, and he just didn't take his $1.1 million and uh, stretch it a little more. I, that's kind of what I figured. I thought he would have stretched it until um, maybe 2022, 20, 23. And you're like, oh, there's Chris Doyle. No, maybe the, the most high profile coach taking a college job or taking an NFL job, he goes in and uh, accepts it. So it's just a crazy situation for me. And I really don't want to belabor it. I just, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I feel like it would be a disservice to an Iowa Hawkeye podcast, not to talk about it for a little bit. I agree. And I think it's, it is important we talk about it, but I also agree. I don't want to talk about it too much. There are three points I'd like to just point out. You brought up, you think Iowa got off easy. I absolutely hundred percent agree. Um, it, interesting to me, it feels like Iowa football players, college players are the ones who, more might have more or less saved Iowa in that sense um, yes. from getting getting off, getting off easy, and now professional players are the ones who are doing the opposite of saving the, the Jaguars. They, what would be the opposite? I don't know. 
uh, doing the ones holding, they're the ones holding Darrell's feet to the fire, whereas college players are the ones who are kind of saving him, but not really, not saving him, but saving the Iowa program. Uh, right. Second point, <laughs> you talk about the strength coach. <laughs> Urban Meyer could have gotten any strength coach in the entire fucking world. <laughs> do this. You know, I am, I am looking, I am looking at the 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 roster, the staff, the Urban Meyer's new staff. Charlie Strong, former flavor of the month uh, college football head coach. Daryl Bevel, former uh, he he's coached in multiple Super Bowls um, as his offensive coordinator. Joe Cullen, he has coached in multiple Super Bowls as a defensive coordinator. Brian Schottenheimer. Fail son TV TV to be seen. <laughs> um, Chris Ash, uh, another he and he was a former Rutgers head coach, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's got who's who of you know middling college coaches and, and coordinators. <laughs> but if you can tell me he couldn't have gone out and gotten you know any other uh, strength coach ever. Yeah, um, exactly. I don't want to put make this person in trouble because he ended up. I, I actually screenshot this, but a really well known, well liked X's and O's guy on Twitter. Um, he tweeted this out and then deleted it. And I'm not going to say who it is, but he said, you know, the one thing I'm uh, the one thing between the difference between. Let me let me just pull it up because I don't want to mangle it. But more or less, he said, <clears throat> I remember asking an old college teammate when he was a coaching intern with us in blank. What he saw the differences between pro and college are from a strength coaching position. He said, well, in the NFL, a strength coach points for technique, and those are mostly just suggestions, and they are mandates. So he's more or less saying the strength coach doesn't do anything. Right. So, like, you're going to get this guy who everybody universally hates to more or less fill a chair in your program and pay millions of dollars. Like, Truly, just a bone head, boneheaded move, um, and I kind of have a third. I think that was two and a half points. That's really all I have to say about the situation. Oh, oh no! My third thing I want to say is yes. Do you think? Do you think if this happens in twenty twenty two or twenty three, Chris Doyle keeps his job on the Jaguar staff? The ink isn't even dry on his settlement. I think a lot of things factored into it. I think it being Urban Meyer was a big deal. Like Urban Meyer, it, it cracks me up because he just had two seasons worth of image rehab go down the drain. I love the guy on TV. He was awesome. Uh, and it's like, oh yeah, I forget what a crappy human be being he is in terms of win at all costs. Um, but yeah, from a Doyle standpoint, I, I don't think he takes, I, I just thought he would admire an obscurity a little bit because ultimately how it played out for him I mean, now it's a different net, right? Because I think his name got raked over the coals in a way that um, it never did with the Iowa stuff. Um, I think if he goes to like a Baylor or a private college, um, you know, I, I don't think this happens at the same level. Like Hugh Freeze, right? I mean, people don't like him. He's a little bit of an ostr you know, a, a pariah, but he's still got a head coaching D1 job. I thought that was very much in play for Doyle. Um, but I think what happened to him over the course of this was a true reckoning. Um, because ultimately, I think people are fine with like guys getting second chances. But you need that level of acceptance of what you did wrong. Like, I mean, people bring Michael Vick up. Well, yeah, Michael Vick, he went to jail. He works with animal rights organizations and he is doing everything he can to rectify a mistake that he made. Um, and, and it was a structural mistake because he was hosting those things. Um, Doyle never had any of that recognition, didn't have the time elapse to forget about it or try and make it right. Um, so if, if it had happened in 2022 or 2023, I think it would have been a little different situation, but if it was going to be the strength and conditioning coach, like you said, the matter of power, you just think about it. There, there are no one-year turnarounds from a strength and conditioning perspective, right? So, so that that's where it just kind of is weird for me um, for why he would have done it. But it's a good job for a great coach, and who is he to say no necessarily without 
thinking through the full um, the full ramifications of it. S- silly point, but um, man, it, it just it just blew my mind that it happened. You bring. I was gonna say, you know, you bring up Hugh Freeze at Liberty. Uh, Alex Kirshner, who is becoming uh, a good follow of mine on Twitter, he he, he tweeted, he subtweeted, you know, well, there's always Liberty University, which is where for Chris Boyle. And I mean, that's probably where he's going to, I mean, yeah, it's probably the next, next most likely job other than Baylor, because that's where his son is right now. Um, I could, you know, if Doyle went to Liberty, nobody would be surprised, but I, I don't think Doyle's going to be getting, I, you know, I think it's kind of effectively shut the door for him for any job offers for at least the next three or four years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why like he and Iowa from a, a, what happened in July standpoint, it just, it, it, it was just a very big local story versus versus a national story. Um, the way I think about it, because as you said, there's, there's no um, college program bigger than any NFL team. And we found that out. And I think that's maybe the, the biggest t- takeaway is that, that, uh, you know, same problem, but, very, very different results. I mean, there was a two-day news cycle, a two-day news cycle mm-hmm. on this thing, and mm-hmm. it was wild to see like Pablo Torre and Katie Nolan chat about it on highly questionable, um, crazy because I, I don't remember even Levitard bringing it up when he had that show. Maybe he did, but it, it didn't have the same. Oomph. If you Google the Jacksonville Jaguars right now, story number one, Chris Doyle. Story number two, Chris Doyle. Story number three, something about Charlie Strong. Story number four, Chris Doyle. Story number five, Mailbag. Story number six, Chris Doyle. So he takes up four of the six top stories. If you Google Jacksonville Jaguars. And this is, we're doing this on a Sunday night, so this is still 48 hours after he resigned. I realize it's a weekend cycle, but still, point remains. Yeah. So we turn, I think that's a, a great way to, to leave that. And hopefully it's kind of something we don't really ever talk about again, because we have other football things to talk about. Um, Tim Polisek uh, and Derek Ross Foster have taken new jobs. Um, Polisek rejoining Craig Bull at Wyoming as the offensive coordinator and QB coach. Uh, Derek Foster, same role running backs coach, but for the San Diego Chargers. Two promotions, in my view. Um, and I know this is something you want to talk about. So, Ben, I will once again give you the floor. <clears throat> I'm going to start with Polisek. Absolutely promotion. I'm glad you brought that up right away because didn't see it in our comments, but I did see on tw- – God, I this is my third time referencing Twitter, I think, in the first 27 minutes of this pod. Uh, but it's important, you know. Uh, many more, more than one comment was saying how this was – a really bad look for Iowa, and Polisek took uh, – this, this is a step down for Polisek based on the merits of that it's a, it's a pay cut. Um, and it is a significant pay cut. I think it's the, t- to the tune of around $125,000. But I think objectively speaking, going, becoming the offensive coordinator for a group of five team, but uh, you know, a high a top-tier group of five team, is absolutely uh, much – more likely springboard to we're going to assume he wants to be a head coaching a head coach much more likely to be a springboard of a head coach somewhere than being the offensive line coach at Iowa for however many years like he was gonna there was absolutely no he had reached his peak at Iowa he was never going to become the the only way he would become the offensive coordinator is you know once Brian becomes a head coach and I I kind of feel like Brian might you know he might kind of clean house if, if and when he gets the keys to the kingdom um you know i don't know i've got no reason to base it off of but i think i think you know polisek is going to become a flavor of the month coaching hire you know sometime and I, it's, it feels ridiculous saying this but um going to become a, a really good head coach in the next decade i think he's going to you know he's got a he's got ties to the Midwest, and now that he's going to be in Wyoming, that they that 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 the conference, the the Mountain West, seems to sort of be tied to the hip to uh, the Pac-12 with coaching. And you, it seems like you know Nevada, Utah, Boise State, even BYU, see, it seems like the perfect type of fit for Polisek. They're going to be doing the exact same offense he already talked talked about, basically doing the exact same offense he did at NDSU. There's no reason to believe that it can't be really successful for Wyoming and the teams they play. 
and then furthermore, you know, the guys replacing, um, I think something vegan, Weigel, um, who also came from NDSU, is now the head coach at Montana State. So, you know, if, mm. if you know, Polisic has to take another stepping stone to a school like similar to Montana State to then become become the head coach at a smaller power five school, then, then so be it. But I truly believe, you know, if I could, if I could place a bet on Polisic becoming a head coach or an offensive coordinator for a power five team in the next decade, you know, I, I would, I would truly put a lot of money on it. Um, and I think it, it's a big loss. I just do. I think I th- you can say what you want. And even when I was like, he was only at Iowa for three seasons, um, four recruiting cycles, four and a half, if you want to put it that way, you could argue for five, I guess. Um, and the the numbers aren't necessarily there, but I was for in terms of you know names and everything. Obviously, worse, but who knows? Like, who knows how big of a hand he really did have in Iowa's offensive line recruiting? Um, you know, he the two the two top rated recruits in Iowa's cycle right now are four star offensive linemen. So I, I think he definitely had a big hand in that. Um, what what right. stood out, what st- stands out to me the most uh, with Paul second? I just learned this before coming on the pod doing some research. Is Scott Doctorman had a had a Q and A. With Polisek um, for the for athletic and in there and it was sort of a throwaway comment, but he said that Tr- Tristan Wirfs FaceTime Polisek from the locker room after uh, winning the Super Bowl. It's like how many other Iowa coaches do you think Tristan Wirfs FaceTimed? I mean, I think that type of thing always starts with your position coach. Yeah, um, but if Wirfs fucking hated him, I don't think I don't think he had like oh I I think. To, to your question, I think my answer would be Polisek was definitely the first Iowa guy that he FaceTimed. I don't think he FaceTimed. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he FaceTimed any other Iowa, Iowa coach. I don't think he FaceTimed Ferentz. I don't think he, either Ferentz. And then there's no. I don't think there's any other reason for him to FaceTime another coach, especially not Doyle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, I think that more than anything, that tells me about sort of the impact he had. Because if if Worst didn't have a good relationship with Polisek, he wouldn't have FaceTimed him. You know. I, he wouldn't have gone. I don't think he would have gone through those motions. So I, I you know, that that, that 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 speaks a lot of volumes to me. That you know, that 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 whole interaction happened. Um, I have no idea who they're going to get to replace him. And I, you know, it sort of fell by the wayside. Like, you know, he he went to Iowa to learn. I didn't. You know, he he wasn't an offensive line. He's, he was never an offensive line coach before. He was a quarterback when he played, and then he was he was a quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator at NDSU. But it's like. The quarterback knows a whole lot about the offensive line. I don't think it was that. And he even said it really wasn't that big of a learning curve coming to Iowa. You know, he said it took him a few weeks of, of digesting film and asking, sitting down with Brian Ferentz and grilling him with questions to really figure it out. But, you know, he's a smart guy. I think he's – I'm a little bit sad because I just think he's going to do really, really good things. And, I, you know, there, the, the situation for him to climb the ladder at Iowa just, just wasn't there. Uh, and, and it's too bad. And, I, and I'm just excited, I guess, the silver lining is to see who Iowa brings in next to, uh, to replace him. And I really hope that person doesn't have the, the last name that we're familiar with. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if we'll, we want to prognosticate here, um, although I know Blazek is probably the, the funniest one. Um, to me, I think that the, when you look at someone leaving, it's what's pushing them away and what's pulling them to. I, when your former boss, someone you want to ask, like reach the, the peak with, wants you again, it's it's almost impossible to stop that. Um, you know, he he has a mentor, Craig Bull, and that's a tough thing to stop. So I, I don't want to necessarily get too conspiratorial and think in terms of things that we don't know. But the the one thing I I think we can agree with is. Um, Polisek, when he was hired from NDSU, a team that pushed Iowa around in that 2016 game, um, they, Iowa just didn't use a lot of uh, stuff that we would have seen from North Dakota State. And I think from his perspective, um, he had learned all he needed to know. And um, like you said, the ladder wasn't there to climb, um, short of... Uh, uh, Brian Ferentz leaving maybe for a, a group of five type of job or um, uh, Kirk leaving and not replacing being replaced with Brian. Um, 
So ultimately, I think it was more of a pull situation versus a push. But um, really, I, I don't necessarily think that um, it may be a huge deal. Although I think your point is a very good one about just the player connections that he had. Um, and to me, the timing of this is also brutal. Um, we've gone through the um, college football hiring cycle, and now Iowa has to fill two spots. Um, and we saw this happen, you know, what was that, uh, nine years ago when they when they had their last big um, true roster turnover from a coaching standpoint. Um, I guess two isn't quite that much, but offensive line isn't necessarily something that um, you want to see uh, like you, you want to get the best guy that you can. And, and it doesn't look like Iowa may get that. Now. I wonder if they might rejigger what's currently on the staff. If would Brian Ferentz take a demotion and we saw Ken O'Keefe be offensive coordinator for a year. So Iowa could get the best offensive yeah, line. Coach absolutely not. No. Like. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Kirk Ferentz would demote himself to become the offensive line coach and then promote his son. <laughs> Before that, I'm. I, I know it's something. No, I, I believe that. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. Um, I mean, going against your point, you know, if there is one position I want, I would feel comfortable with being vacant on the staff at this point in time. It's the offensive line coach, simply because by virtue of the fact that you know, that's basically what Kurt Ferentz does. I think he's he's a very hands-on coach, and he spends as much time with the offensive line, all, all under all accounts, as he does any other position group. Um, and it doesn't even touch the defense from everything we know, which, which is good. Um, I, again, reading between the lines, and uh, going back to my main point, you know, now he's got Craig Bowles' coattails to ride too. So if Craig Bowles goes on from Wyoming to, yeah. uh, to uh, another Power 5 school, he's probably going to take Polsek with him because you have to assume Polsek's doing a pretty good job if Bowl is getting those kinds of looks. So that's another thing too. Like Polsek saw that. Craig Bowl, he's a he's a prize pony right now, whereas I, the Iowa staff is just a Clydesdale. You know, it is what it is. They're going to be pulling the Budweiser truck every year. Um, you can count on that, but sometimes you, you don't want to be drinking Budweiser anymore because that ain't any, winning any awards, even though it's in everybody's fridge. Um, another thing that's important, I think, is he mentioned that uh, at NDSU and the Division three college he coached at before, they they exclusively ran gap blocking schemes to open things up for an athletic or mobile quarterback. And that's, that's their, all they did. Whereas at Iowa, they exclusively ran zone blocking schemes too. And he is probably frustrated that he was constricted to coaching in his mind, an inferior system. Let's call it what it is. He think I don't one way or the other in his mind. If he, if you think that you're coaching something the wrong way, you, you must be frustrated as hell. If you think that there's something out there, uh, that you you think could help your team win more games and you, you don't have the opportunity to teach that to the players, you probably want to get out of there too. And I firmly believe that that's another important thing to weigh in this. Uh, if you're not able to, to, to spread your wings and uh, install something that you think could um, do better, yeah, you, you get out of there. So, you know, I'm not surprised at all. And I really do wish him the best of luck. I think, you know, I, I'm going to look forward to watching watch, watching Wyoming play now, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a fair bow. I know we, we had our, our nits to pick with him kind of throughout his tenure, but ultimately it, it felt like sometimes that stuff goes way, all the way to the top um, to your final point. And yeah, I, I, I've always kind of liked Bull, um, and Polosek is, he's the classic what's not to like type of guy. Um, just just a, a, a great person, love his story, and wish him the best. Um, the other one, Derek Foster, Similar situation about, I think he had three years, right? And Polisek was four. Um, he -hmm. came from Samford and, uh, looks to be, I mean, a very quick riser, um, to, to go from, what was it? FBS basically all all the way to the NFL within call it four years, uh, opened up, I would say a pipeline into Georgia for Iowa. Um, and bringing Tyler Goodson, <laughs> you bring him, and I mean, yeah. it almost doesn't matter who else comes. Mm-hmm. Um, total win, total win. So I think uh, the Goodsons had some very complimentary tweets about him and wish him the best. But I think he's one that, in the similar vein of worse with Polisek, 
Um, you know, what, who, who keeps guys in the room is a position coach. And it's interesting to me that Foster leaves, although I, I, I would say this is once again, more of a pull situation than a push. Um, as I view it, like I've preached not getting too conspiratorial, so I won't hear. Um, but I, to me, when you have an NFL job, it's, it's hard to turn down. NFL job, and I think it comes to the tune of around a quarter of a million dollar raise, too. Uh, and then you also get, people also forget, you get those pretty, pretty incentives, too, when you're at the NFL level. You know, I don't, I don't know what they are exactly, but I, I have to imagine if San Diego ever found itself in a position where one uh, got to the playoffs and then won a game or two, his salary basically doubles in bonuses. So it, it's, it's a no brainer. You know, you, you text me your conspiracies. I shot it down right away because you know, if it's a, <laughs> it's a much, it's a much more clear cut um, upgrade uh, promotion for, for Foster than it is for Polisek, even though I think it, they're both pretty clearly promotions. I don't even know who is the head coach for the chargers now. That was something that I was thinking about that I could not think about or could not remember. Um, well, I said, I think from Foster's standpoint, not only is it a promotion in terms of um, just the job title, right? Uh, it's also a promotion in terms of maybe the ease. Um, I have to imagine being a running backs coach at Iowa is uh, a bit like uh, pushing the boulder up the mountain something I've used before. It, it just feels like um, maybe a little constricted with the zone gapping zone zone scheme in terms of uh, the, because to me, that's the highest learning curve, right? In terms of um, maybe it's not even necessarily the offensive lineman, but the running back knowing when and where to cut. And that to me is uh, losing him might be more important than losing Polisek in, in terms of, this is someone who's understood the scheme for the last three years. He knows the guys in the room. Um, and I, I guess Goodson, do we think he's got two years left or is he just going to do the one? I think that's probably, um, if he has another really good year, it's probably just one. Um, but to me, can, can I all find the right fit for a running backs coach? The name that sticks out in my mind is Liddell Betts, who is a high school coach down in Florida. Um, maybe, but who? Uh, I just don't have any ideas, not even funny ones, um, like Steve Ferentz for Iowa's offensive line coach. I mean, Mark Wiseman was on the Ross staff, I think, with not not even two years ago. As a, as a, he was on the, the, as a he was on the strength and conditioning yeah. side, right? Yeah, he was on the yeah. So, I mean, do I want to see Mark Wiseman back on the side? No, but it's, I think I always got options there. Interestingly enough, looking at the chart, you know, there are Chargers head coaches, Brandon Staley. I don't know who that is. He used to be the Rams defensive coordinator. Why are you hiring him? There's only one other name on, oh, Joe Lombardi. Oh, yeah. I, you know who I'm talking about that I recognize is Tom Donatel. Yes. Um, who, Started really only like six games, I think, his senior year at safety for uh, Iowa. But that was back in, I want it was 2012 or 2013 season, back when I covered the team. And every single player and coach that Tom Donatel is going to be an NFL head coach one day or a college football head coach one day. And now he's the, I think he's got, gone from, uh, you know, just the, from secondary coach to GA positions around. He was with the 49ers for a while and now. I think he's three heartbeats away from being the defensive coordinator for an NFL team. It's going to be interesting to um, just watch his trajectory as well. But I think unquestionably, uh, even though like Polisek was a lot higher up on the coaching depth chart, so to speak, mm -hmm. Foster's departure is much more um, uh, hurts, hurts more, I guess. I don't know how to word that differently. Yeah. I, I to, to me, this is ultimately the stuff that it, it's tough to know how much work goes into what they do like I, versus how much are they impacting the scheme versus teaching the scheme to the players. Um, ultimately, to me, it, it's 
we're not going to see Iowa change because of who, who's in these two spots from a schematic standpoint. I think we learned that much with Polisek uh, coming and going. Um, but can positional play be elevated as a result of uh, whoever is their head, their position coach? Absolutely. Um, and I think it's, um, you know, we'll see. I'm not optimistic or pessimistic. I would be certainly much more pessimistic if uh, Tyler Goodson was also leaving with um, Derek Foster to the NFL. But ultimately, we'll see. To me, it's just interesting timing as much as anything. And I hope Iowa can find um, two coaches that um, were as good as, as Polisek and Foster were, I think, in their collective seven years at Iowa. <clears throat> when do you think – I have no idea when we I, – I suspect we get announcements of hires pretty soon, don't you think? Because Iowa, Iowa has known – from I, something I gleaned from the document piece was Iowa has known Polisek was leaving for probably about a month now, it seems like. It seems like Craig Ball reached out to Ference a week after the season ended about Polisek. So I, I think Iowa ha- probably has her ducks in a row in that situation. I don't know about Foster. I would suspect that we probably hear within the next two weeks. That that would be my guess. I, I didn't catch that in the document piece, so I, I'll trust you that Iowa has known about it for a fair amount of time. And most of the time, you do know these things um, when guys mm-hmm. leave. So mm-hmm. uh, t- to me, um, we'll find out when we find out. Hopefully it is not um, the day before spring practice starts. That would be an issue. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Learned their lesson in 2012. Well, Ben, uh, we, we've chatted about uh, football for uh, the better part of an hour, and, and I think it would be fun to obviously close out with basketball. Since we last talked, I joked in the creation of this that I was 3-0. The other win was uh, what happened with Doyle. That was a bad inside joke that I'm now saying now. Iowa won 79-66 over the newly ranked Rutgers team, and then a true hand blasting, 88-58 to 58 at Michigan State. Um, to me, for a number of reasons, the Michigan State win was more encouraging than the Rutgers win. Um, but you go 2-0 in league play in a week. It's a good week. Uh, what do you think? Uh, let me just preface. I don't want to piss anybody's Cheerios, but you know that Rutgers team kind of. Don't, I don't think has any won't end the year ranked. You know, it's you know yeah. whatever. Say what you want. They're a good team with really good players. I think Ron Harper Jr. is really good and all that. But you know, they're they're just not they're not that good of a team. And honestly, I'm struggling to even remember that game. <laughs> it happened so long ago. And <laughs> um, so I remember that was going on. And then I'll just say. Uh, I'll remind everyone who's listening, all three of you, that I'm on vacation. So I didn't watch a second of the Iowa-Michigan State game. I didn't even know what was going on uh, until there were about five minutes left. I looked at the score. Um, Tom Mizzo's worst loss ever. Not even just at home. I think it's his worst loss ever at Michigan State. Um, I am All I really have to say about it is I went and saw some highlights. I looked at the box score. I read some stories. Uh, I'm really glad C.J. Frederick didn't play. I don't. The, I don't like how they've been straddling the fence with him at all. I don't like how. I think he got twelve or thirteen minutes against Rutgers, and they are quality minutes. I think he got like six assists or something like that. Um, he, they're important, uh, and and they're all when we needed them. I think they're two back to back to Garza when um, Rutgers had had narrowed. I was I think eleven or twelve point lead down to six or seven, and then he found Garza with two nice passes back to back. And uh, that that sort of pumped the brakes on a run Rutgers was making. Uh, still, clearly not 100. percent And um, I I just wanted to get I wanted to get to 90 100 percent for March. That's really all I care about. I've met I can't hammer home enough how badly I do not care about the Big Ten tournament and what's happens between now <laughs> and what happens between now and March. All I care about is this team being as healthy as it can when we get the f- four seed. That pisses me off how they announced that yesterday, I think. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you, you probably have some strong opinions on that. But uh, I would just like, you know, them to sit Frederick a- until he's 100%. And the only other thing that was interesting to me 
is somebody, I think Sir Nicholas mentioned how Iowa played man-to-man all 40 minutes um, against Michigan. You know, I'm stepping on your toes. That was probably something you were going to say. But it was the first game all season that they've done that, which is interesting to me. And that threw off, um, probably threw off Izzo. You know, did that account for a 30-point win? I don't think so. But it's the interesting little wrinkle to me that feels like Fran was uh, playing a little bit of chess that we haven't really seen him do this season or ever, maybe. Yeah, I think I'll start with maybe the quicker point first, which is the man-to-man defense. There, I'm glad Iowa finally hit the point where it just became a just fucking defense. Like, that's all that a lot of fans want. It's just like, just keep the guy in front of you from getting behind you. And that worked against Michigan State. Now, are there many teams that that will work against. There aren't many foster lawyers in the Big Ten. The, someone that you have uh, not so kindly compared to uh, every, a, an opponent that you would see at a YMCA. Every so, YMC player power forward, yes. Yeah, so there aren't many foster lawyers in the NBA. Not many times you can get or in, in the Big Ten, let alone the NBA. Um, so Bohannon could stick with him. The Frederick thing, and this is why the Michigan State win was very encouraging to me, other than the fact that Keegan Murray, Connor McCaffrey, and um, Jack Nunji combined for, uh, what is this, 7 of 10 on 3. I It felt like it was just building to a will CJ Frederick play or not play. And then, um, well, we can excuse the loss. To me... I just needed to see Iowa beat a team that they could beat without Frederick because it felt like they needed some confidence for that to continually happen. Um, Why it's super important for me is him playing on uh, Rutgers. uh, What day was that? I think it was a Thursday game followed by Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um, Not much rest between the games. So, I know we made the joke about, well, can Iowa redo this in the tournament? Can Iowa play? Conceivably, it could work that Frederick can go in the first game of the round of 64, not able to go in the round of 32. This shows to me that they they, they just don't need him to win in a way that felt increasingly like a crutch. And I guess it's the the same point that that I'm continuing to make. because I share the same sentiment as you is if there's a way for him to get 100% by um, March Madness, rest him, play him maybe once a week if that's what he can stomach. But it just I, I want him at 100% in March because that is when Iowa ultimately needs him because he's what takes them from a – I hesitate to say very likely Sweet 16 team to a team that can push for the Final Four um, because he, he does elevate Iowa into that level. Um, but ultimately, if if Iowa is going to be able to defend like they can in these last two games, their offense will carry them. And, you know, I, I think they're, they're a team that's very good with the wind at their back. So if they can get a strong defensive stretch in the first half, it, ham- it limits Jordan Bohannon's deficiencies on the defensive end because, you know, he can always come back and flip it again from, oh, this team's turned it into a eight-point lead back to 11. Um, so I, I, I was encouraged by this week uh, and really don't have much more to add that we didn't really say in kind of our state of the program from a don't bury him because to me this proves – even without Frederick, don't bury him. Another thing too that's important. Uh, we I have I've mentioned this I think the last two times under the breath of you know the friend February fade. Any win we can get in February is you, you, you have to take it. Second, uh, I'm not going to say friend of the program because he tries to dunk on us Twitter as often as possible. But Hawkeyes tweeted uh, this morning that Iowa has the third best record in February in the Big Ten the past three years. 
truly a mind-blowing statistic. You're going to check his work right now, I think, as you should. Uh, I'm not, I, I trust his work, but I think what hurts Iowa is actually like, yeah, okay, so this checks out. It's, the, it's truly March that hurts Iowa. Because, yeah, you look at, uh, yeah, yeah, this makes sense. Oh, God, that 2019 finish, that was brutal. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, because, I mean, they, you just don't play many games in March. That's that's the math on that. So, yeah, when you're I, Iowa. Because okay. <laughs> when, when, you, when you're topping out at 50% in the Big Ten tournament, you are, uh, how you say, not going to have a strong record in March. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. So who do we have? We have Wisconsin on Thursday, right? Wisconsin on Thursday, Penn State Sunday. It looks like that Nebraska game is getting penciled in for uh, Wednesday the 24th. Then Ohio State again. Um, Michigan the 4th. Wisconsin the 7th. Six winnable games of various magnitudes, and frankly, let's let's talk about Wisconsin for these last four minutes because um, I think them winning the Big Ten last year invalidated how strong the conference was last year because they are a bunch of tryhards that I truly dislike. Um, outside of Dimitri Trice, I think he's a fine ball player, and Micah Potter, who is underutilized on that squad don't let greg guard hear this um because god just a brutal team to watch no fun brad davison is uh, you have a good comparison i'll let you say that but like like you said these are guys that i would cross like like you said and i agree with i would cross the street to punch them in the face because just classic wisconsin buzz cuts I watched the last seven minutes of Wisconsin-Michigan today, and it was truly a brutal, not a fun game to watch. Um, between, you know, I think Isaiah Livers was like the only player on the floor who has a go. I don't want to gouge my eyeballs out watching him. Um, the Wisconsin was kind of in the driver's seat until Brad Davidson had a dirty play. I think it was 50-50 dirty. Um not nearly as dirty as him, you know, punching Connor in the nuts last year, as he's done several other times to other players. But, like, there – and you can say, you know, uh, you, people are detracting Wisconsin. It's like, oh, how'd you lose to Michigan? They haven't played in two weeks. Well, Michigan got to practice last week. It's not like they would, they, mm-hmm. they, they weren't just cold. They were able to practice all of last week, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think they were able to get 10 hours of practice in. Um, so, you know, it's not like Michigan was cold. And, again, they're, you know, they're the onboard team of the Big Ten. I don't care. They took those two weeks off. Um, that's another discussion for another pod we'll probably have. Uh, you know, this Wisconsin team is super beatable. I, th- I think and, – and, and they're a fine team. They're just a much less talented Wisconsin team that we normally see. Um, uh, you mentioned, you know, they're, they're figuring out – Greg Gard is figuring out lineups the same way our coach kind of is. Um, yep. It's just, and it, just so slow and boring. Uh, I, Iowa has a real opportunity, I think, to blow them out of the water Thursday, and I, I really hope they do. And I'm frozen right now, and I hope it's fine. Yeah, I, I hear you, Ben. Um, this, uh, th- what does blow me away, though, is like to get outscored 21 to 8 in the last 10 minutes is just – it is criminal. And I think that lines up with what you said about Brad, Brad Davison's cheap shot. Uh, I just – the thing about Wisconsin is that they, they they have, like, the classic Fran conundrum that Iowa has in terms of they just don't start their best five players. Micah Potter, in my opinion, is maybe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. their second potentially single best player. And he has come off the bench in uh, – uh, I guess they they recently flipped him from a starter to off the bench. Point remains. <laughs> it's just like I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. There there are no injuries. Um, but you know what? The less Michael Potter, the better, uh, because I, I think he actually is the type of guy that gives Garza a little bit of um, 
difficulty with his athleticism and and uh, beefiness. And ultimately, I am optimistic though that Iowa can can pull it out because there are a few teams that Iowa is more athletic than. And like you don't get many Foster lawyers in the Big Ten. You don't get many teams less athletic than you in the Big Ten if you're Iowa. Um, so that's exciting. It does bear mentioning Joe Wieskamp is on an absolute tear and he's played this well, I think before, but not at this high a profile. And it is an absolute delight to watch. So that also bears mentioning before we, we wrap up tonight. I mean, he's, you might have, it might've even been your comment. He doesn't have Matt Gaten's like tear right now, right? Yeah, I wanted to to pull up those stats, the Matt Gaten's ones, and I think really what what sticks out to me when I did look at the roster is just how um how much stronger Iowa's roster is this year versus when Matt Gaten's went on that tear in yeah. 2012. Um that was a not very good team and as I filibuster in, he went so I think it was from the Indiana game to the Wisconsin game. He made like 10 straight threes, which is, oh, I can't get to a game log. But, um, yeah, I mean, you look at that roster of the 2010 team, and it was like Roy Marble, freshman Aaron White, senior Bryce Cartwright, Zach McCabe, Nelson Vasabi, Eric May, Josh Oglesby, uh, Andrew Brommer. And it's like, how many players would you take off of that roster to play on this one? I honestly think only Marble would be the guy that you might take um, over uh, anyone on this Iowa team. Maybe him over Toussaint, and then it's like kind of ride with everyone else. I'm a Cartwright truther, TBH. I think ah, okay. I like him. Um, I mean, you, I, did, I did like what he brought, but. Yeah. Uh, it, would he be used as much as Joe Tucson is this year? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I kind of think I know the answer to that question. Um, I know, right? It's sad. No, I think that let's go back to Wies camp here. You know, he's averaging what I think 22 points, uh, the last three, three or four games, uh, who, uh, Billis, you know, made a sort of made an offhand comment when, uh, who, when to be, which game did Billis do, um, recently of ours. He did uh, the Indiana game. I believe. No, the Indiana-Ohio State, one of those one I think, of the I think, I think it's the Ohio State game. And, you know, he mentioned offhand that Wieskamp is going to be an NBA player next year. I don't know if he knows things that we don't know. But, um, you know, I think that's how, he's one of the few people who I, 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 who, whose word I, I sort of take. And it's, you know, if, if you would have told me that, you know, Joe Wieskamp and not Garza or Jordan Bohannon was going to be the guy for to sort of carry this team into something pretty great, um, I guess I, I probably believe you because we've seen flashes of greatness out of Wieskamp before for the past three years, just not, you know, three or four games in a row like we have because that's always been his biggest knock is inconsistency. He's been able to disappear from, from time to time. And, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. If it's confidence, he finally realizes that, He's got to be the man, um, you know, maybe Garza saying something to him, but if, you know, we, if he's turning into, I would, I, I have absolutely no problem with him becoming Iowa's first scoring option. I just don't. Yeah. I think that's a, a great point about like the broader construction of Iowa's team as it goes towards the tournament is that it does lend itself towards guards play guard play and Wieskamp wing ostensibly a guard in my opinion um the fact that he is just shooting that is i think a lot of what um was always my biggest complaint was like he, he's just good to shoot the ball he's the one guy i thought actually needed to hunt shots versus like bohan and frederick garza Wieskamp was always the one that his game opens up the further out and the more consistently that he's shooting. And he has, you go back, it, it's, it's back to January, in my opinion. This is like a over a month that he's done this since the Minnesota game where he scored 16 or more points in all but one game. And we're talking about nine. So in eight of nine games, he's scored more than 16 points. He's turned into that guy. 
Um, and I think it, it changes the dynamic of Iowa if you really do have to put your number one perimeter player on Wieskamp, then it it makes it more difficult for Iowa to to more difficult to defend Iowa. And it's it's an utter delight to watch because just him rising in fire, it's just great. It's great. Sure is. Great like these Hawks. It is indeed. So I, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up there, Ben. Uh I think as we look to the schedule, it'll probably be another Sunday night recording deal after the Penn State game, unless we're feeling partic- particularly thirsty after a Wisconsin game on uh, on Thursday. So we I would shall like, see. We I'd, should talk. I'd like to, but I think it's 5.30 game tip-off here. Ooh. And I think I'm actually going up to Sedona um, ah. on Wednesday or Thursday. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to see that one either. All righty. Then we will – Produce this offline. Yeah. For <laughs> Ben Ross, I am Harrison Starr. Go Hawks. Uh, Arizona. <laughs>